Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to have a chat about Edward Teach, better known to history as Blackbeard, one of the most famous pirates ever to set sail. I'm surprised it's taken us so long to get around to talking about this bloke, um, given how given how much we love a bit of pirate history here on the show. He's probably the first real pirate that comes to mind when when thinking about pirates in general. And by re- real pirates, I don't mean like they're real pirates and then you're poser pirates, inauthentic pirates. I mean non-fictitious pirates. This bloke actually existed. And uh, for that matter, when it comes to his fame, he's not just famous. It's not just these days that he's famous either. Blackbeard was, uh, was also one of the most famous pirates on earth in his own day too, like his contemporaries, many of whom we'll meet and chat about today. Black, Blackbeard had a very short but very exciting career as a pirate, and he had a reputation that very much preceded him, as, of course, we'll talk about. Um, most of his career was spent looting, plundering, and pillaging, roving throughout the Caribbean and the southeast coast of North America, terrorizing the seas, capturing ships, and amassing wealth, although not that much wealth, really. Um, despite his fame, Blackbeard was actually a long way from being history's most successful pirate when it came to uh, the riches that he assembled. Although from a cultural standpoint, you can't deny Blackbeard's legacy is probably second to none. Um, He really is someone who has gone on to very heavily influence our perception of this very short period of history. He and the other pirates of his time have had a hugely lasting cultural impact that is very readily apparent through to this very day. And so as a result, Blackbeard lives on in popular media, even in the 21st century, fictionalized in all sorts of stories, told in all sorts of different ways. Anyway, bit more piratical history for everyone to enjoy here, a bit more naval history, a long-standing favourite of Half-Assed History. It'll be good to get back into it. Thanks go to alert listeners Brian Method, David Schultz and Brett Hassler for their suggestion of Blackbeard as an episode topic. Cheers, boys. Good on you. But without further ado, let's get into it here. Time to have a chat about Edward Blackbeard Teach. Off we go. Going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to around the year 1680, which is when Blackbeard is thought to have been born. But we don't know this for sure. In fact, we don't know anything at all about his early life. Uh, We're not even sure about his name. Teach uh, seems to be the most widely accepted spelling of this bloke's name, but it was also spelled, even in his his lifetime, Thatch, Thack, Tack, Thatcher, Teach, um, and uh, on top of this, there's a good chance that Teach or Thatch or whatever wasn't even his real name from the outset. Pirates very very commonly took on pseudonyms, usually a, a fake last name, um, which, you know, is a pretty sensible thing to do when you're marauding across the high seas for very obvious reasons. If you're taking to a life of crime, you don't want to make it too easy for people to find you or to bring dishonour upon your family's name. So, you know, you take a fake name. I actually sometimes get asked what my real name is. Some people have assumed that a name as cool as Riley Knight must be a pseudonym. Uh, But no, that is my actual name. Uh, it's not a name that I took on to, you know, terrorise the high seas. Would be Honestly, it'd be a shame if I would have become a pirate captain, really, because Captain Knight, that's got a real ring to it. I, and, you know, I I wouldn't want to change that. So, sorry, Mum and Dad, looks like it is uh, dishonour upon, upon the family name after all. Anyway, 
teach or thatch or tack or whatever. It doesn't really matter because we're just going to sidestep the whole issue of what his last name was. And just call him Blackbeard. Easy peasy. Uh, we'll talk about why he got this uh, nickname a little bit later on the show, although I'm sure you can you know, probably guess. But as I say, we don't know too much about Blackbeard's early life, next to nothing, in fact. Uh, we only estimate that he was born around 1680 because when he died in 1718, he was thought to be around 35, maybe 40, between those two ages anyway. Making educated guesses is, uh, is the approach that we take to filling out Blackbeard's tale between his birth and his rise as a pirate in, uh, in 1716. It's thought that he was born and raised in Bristol, uh, a very important English port city back then, back in the late 17th century. It was actually the second biggest city in England, behind only London, of course. Bristol was a, uh, a bustling maritime city filled with ships coming and going, merchants buying and selling their wares, including, of course, slaves, as unfortunately the Atlantic slave trade was booming. And at some point, if indeed he was from Bristol, as it's thought, uh, Blackbeard travelled from Bristol to the Caribbean, potentially even on a slave ship, and uh, very likely found work over on the other side of the Atlantic as a sailor. And not just a sailor, I should say, as a privateer. The early 18th century is a, uh, a very good time to be a privateer as the War of the Spanish Succession is going on. The European powers fighting it were more than happy to license private sailors, essentially, and their ships um, to become what was more or less a reserve naval force, uh, authorising them to attack ships from enemy nations. And it's funny because of all the huge romantic misconceptions that we have about pirates during the so-called golden age of piracy in the years around the turn of the 18th century... One of the most boring ones is also one of the most important ones. Until the years after the War of the Spanish Succession, broadly speaking, European governments weren't going after pirates. They weren't hunting them down. They weren't really doing anything to try to stop them. We have this conception that pirates were constantly on the run from, from governments, and that isn't really an accurate portrayal of how things were because in many cases, European governments were actually encouraging pirates and piracy, encouraging these ambitious, avaricious sailors who were more than happy to attack and loot ships for riches and plunder. And why, you're asking? Because in wartime, these people could very easily be mobilized against the enemy. No pirate is going to pass up the chance to do what they do with governmental approval via a letter of mark and become a privateer. And of course, this you know, eventually came to an end as conflicts like the War of the Spanish Succession wrapped up. But before this, in general terms, there really wasn't all that much difference between a pirate and a privateer. One just had a note from mum saying that they were allowed to do what they were doing. But of course, that all changed. Once these global naval conflicts concluded um, and, and gave rise to actual proper pirates, unauthorised by any government anywhere... The, uh, this golden age of piracy came to an abrupt and screeching halt as European powers bolstered their efforts to protect their international shipping routes and their global trade networks. But all the same, um, this, this period of history where pirates were kind of let off the leash, it gives us a couple of years that has resulted in so many famous pirates emerging. Given the huge cultural legacy that pirates have left behind, it's astonishing to think that most of the famous ones, Bartholomew Roberts, Steed Bonnet, Calico Jack, and Bonnie Mary Reed, episodes 195, 196, 57, 49, get across them, all operated over a period of, as I say, just a couple of years. 
It's like when you find out how many episodes of Mr. Bean there are. Like, you, you've seen dozens of episodes of Mr. Bean, right? Hundreds, probably, right? Nope. In total, there are only 15 episodes of Mr. Bean. All together. That's, that's counting every single one that was ever put on TV. So, just like the pirates of the late 1710s and early 1720s, the cultural legacy of Mr. Bean enormously outweighs how long he was actually around. Anyway, back to Blackbeard here, uh, who, as I say, was very likely a privateer during the War of the Spanish Succession before, like so many other privateers, he became a pirate once the war ended. After the fighting stopped, after government stopped authorising privateers to go and attack enemy ships on their behalf, you now have thousands and thousands of sailors who were effectively unemployed. Sailors who had perhaps gotten a bit of the taste of the high life of the privateer, the adventure and the danger and the wealth that came with hunting down ships and plundering them or taking them as prizes. And these disaffected, unemployed sailors began to congregate in the Bahamas and specifically on the island of New Providence in a town known as Nassau. If you remember episode 256, Henry Everett, Get Across It, you'll remember that that was where he sailed with his ill-gotten gains after looting unfathomable riches from the Mughal treasure fleet. And in the years that followed, uh, Nassau was never able to quite rid itself of its reputation as a bit of a pirate haven. And then between 1703 and 1706, the English authorities essentially abandon it after a series of French and Spanish attacks. And then in the wake of this withdrawal of English colonial authority, privateers and then in due course pirates began to take Nassau over. They fought off the French and the Spanish, they repelled attacks on the island and they established their own pseudo-government centred in this town of Nassau, which came to be known as the Republic of Pirates, run by a group of pirates known as the Flying Gang. Legendary figures, Benjamin Hornigold, Henry Jennings, Charles Vane, Samuel Bellamy, and as time went on, Edward Blackbeard Teach as well. These are the names that still today, 300 years later, are so closely linked with piracy today, just as they were back then. Blackbeard moved to Nassau in around 1716 after the War of the Spanish Succession, uh, joining all of these ex-privateers in this pirate haven out of the reach of European governmental authority. And there he joined the crew of Benjamin Hornigold, one of the most senior piratical figures in Nassau, and obviously did very well for himself while working for Hornigold. He rose to become his second in command and was put in charge of a sloop that Hornigold had captured. These two kept sailing together. They went about doing what pirates do best, attacking ships, looting and plundering their holds, and getting blind, drunk, and having a great time. In fact, Hornigold and Blackbeard actually had a hard time keeping their crews in line at some points. Um, for instance, after they seized 100 barrels of wine from a merchant vessel near Bermuda, the crew just went off and got absolutely pissed, blind, drunk, and it took a while for them to sober up and actually get back to work. In fact, at one point, when these two pirates seized a vessel off the coast of colonial Virginia in what is today the United States, all the crew did was loot the barrels of wine and then scuttled the captured ship with the rest of its cargo. Oh, never mind all, the, never mind all this plunder, boys. Let's just, let's just get in the source. We'll send the rest of it to the briny deeps. Don't even worry about it. Anyway, this, um, this pirate fleet, if you can call it that, a fleet of just two ships, 
It grew to three in 1717 when Blackbeard and Hornigold returned to Nassau one time and met a bloke by the name of Steed Bonnet. Now, as keen listeners will remember from episode 57, Get Across It, Bonnet had been a wealthy landowner and former military officer who one day just said, bugger all this for a joke, I'm off to become a pirate. You can hear all about his adventures and misadventures in that episode, but to cut a long story short, I can tell you he just wasn't very good at being a pirate. When he met Blackbeard, he was injured and had lost half his crew to an encounter with a Spanish man of war and was very obviously having second thoughts about whether the pirate life was indeed for him. Not not only was he injured, his crew didn't like or respect him. He didn't know what he was doing. Clearly, he was in well over his head. So much so, in fact, that he decided to just give command of his sloop, the Revenge, over to Blackbeard himself. Someone who was very easily able to command not just the ship, but the respect of its crew. Because even after what was quite a short period sailing with Hornigold, Blackbeard had established a fearsome reputation for cruelty and brutality. A reputation that was thoroughly undeserved, I might add. Blackbeard wasn't particularly cruel or particularly brutal, but hey, you play the ball as it lies, and Blackbeard Blackbeard certainly understood the value of, of, well, I was going to say good PR, but in his case, bad PR. He didn't mind being thought of as being fearsome. It definitely helped in the business of piracy, where reputation was everything. But he wasn't like some of these other monsters on the sea, like Charles Vane, who, whose reputation for cruelty was thoroughly well-deserved. But even if this, uh, this reputation that he had, uh, he'd earned was undeserved, even if he wasn't as cruel or as, uh, as horrible as some of the other pirates sailing around, such as Charles Vane, he still didn't have any trouble whipping Bonnet's crew into shape. Using that reputation, he had to instill discipline on uh, onto this, this rabble that had been on a very, very long leash under Bonnet. And uh, as he set sail in Bonnet's ship, the Revenge, as its new captain, Bonnet just kind of came along for the ride. But now we've really got a proper pirate fleet, right? Three ships... Um, and not long after this, a fourth was captured and added to the fleet as well under the under the the command of uh, of Hornigold as the uh, the bloke in in charge of this little flotilla. So you'd think things were going very well. These pirates firing on all cylinders, going about capturing ships, plundering their cargoes, taking them as prizes, having a bloody excellent time. However, cracks were beginning to show, and the relationship between Blackbeard and Hornigold wasn't to last, as it turned out. And this was because Hornigold, who had been a former privateer for the English and the British, was extremely reluctant to attack and plunder British ships. Hornigold and Blackbeard were, at this point, largely uncontested as pirates across the Caribbean. There was no organised effort to combat pirates, and so these two were able to sail around looting and plundering, more or less unchecked, except... Hornigold refused to allow his fleet to attack British ships, which, from one point of view, is very wise. Don't kick the hornet's nest. But his crew and the crews of the other ships in his pirate fleet, they didn't think much of his aversion to attacking British ships, just allowing all of these juicy targets to sail on by unharmed, holds full of succulent cargo, And so by the end of 1717, Hornigold's crew has had enough. 
They booted him out of his position as captain, replacing him with Samuel Black Sam Bellamy, who is interestingly listed as number one on Forbes magazine's list of all-time top-earning pirates, which was a list that I was quite surprised to learn was a thing. But that's another story. Horn of Gold is out in his ass. Bellamy is not in a particularly collaborative mindset after this. He's not interested in working with Horn of Gold's former second-in-command Blackbeard, and so the fleet was split up. These three, they went their separate ways. And after this period of working together quite closely, Blackbeard and Hornigold actually never saw one another ever again. Hornigold eventually took the king's pardon and went on to become a pirate hunter. So you can imagine that Blackbeard was probably quite glad that their paths never crossed again. But now, as we come to the end of 1717, Blackbeard is his own man. His own captain, second in command to no one. With two ships under his command and poor old Steed Bonnet still following him around like a bad smell. And in late November, Blackbeard captured a French merchant ship called La Concorde with a hold full of slaves. And this was a big moment in his career as a pirate because Blackbeard, liking the look of this vessel, took it as a prize. He recruited many of the slaves into his crew and he left the original crew and the slaves that didn't want to come with him ashore on the Grenadine Islands. He then outfitted this captured ship with 40 guns and renamed it Queen Anne's Revenge, possibly the most famous pirate ship in history. It became his flagship and, of course, is the ship most famously associated with him even today. He gave command of the Revenge, bonnet ship originally, to his second-in-command, Lieutenant Richards, a man whose first name we still don't know. Um, And now, with three ships under his command, Blackbeard returned to terrorising the seas. And it's at this point in his career that his reputation really was at its apex. He captured ships, stole their cargo, and burnt them to cinders. The the ships, that is, not the cargo. That would have been largely pointless. Or he just scuttled and sank them. His crew enjoyed a constant stream of plunder and riches as they took down enormous merchant ships that in some cases were better armed than the pirates themselves. But Blackbeard's leadership, his reputation, and the loyalty and the motivation of his crew meant that they were able to go around like this, looting and plundering like there was no tomorrow. Again, largely unchecked by anyone and anything. There's one first-hand account of Blackbeard that was given to a British colonial governor uh, that shed some light on the fearsome pirate and his ways. Uh, Captain Henry Bostock was lucky enough to escape from Blackbeard with the ship intact, uh, although, of course, not the contents of its cargo hold. Bostock sailed to St. Christopher Island and reported to the governor what had happened, uh, explaining the depredations that he and his crew had suffered at Blackbeard's hands and describing him as a tall, spare man with a very black beard, which he wore very long. This was the first recorded description that we have of Blackbeard. And it goes to show that Blackbeard understood the importance of branding and very deliberately worked to make himself look as frightening and as fearsome as he could. His nickname, very obviously, came from his great big black beard. Black as soot it was, which he apparently braided into pigtails and twisted up in ribbons. Uh, But he was, as as Bostock told us, quite a tall bloke. Uh, He wore rich, extravagant clothing, silk and velvet, high boots and long coats, and he had a great big hat on his head. So when you think of a pirate captain, uh, forget the, the peg legs and the eye patches, but when you think of the archetypical pirate captain, Blackbeard 
has a lot to do with that mental image that is floating through your head right now. He went about covered in weapons. He went into battle with six pistols slung about him, uh, in addition to whatever cutlasses and other blades he carried. And finally, he had a habit of lighting slow matches um, or artillery fuses. Think of the, you know, the fuse that you'd uh, associate with explosives, the one that sort of hisses and, and fizzes as it, as it burns down. Um, he used to put these, uh, these fuses, these slow matches, under his hat and set them alight before he'd attack a ship. These fuses would burn and glow and smoke, which obviously only enhanced his already terrifying visage. Just imagine, great big tall fella bristling with guns, an evil grin glinting from behind a great big black bushy beard with smoke pouring out from around his head. No wonder everyone was terrified of him. These poor sailors probably thought the devil himself had captured their ships. Blackbeard is at the top of his game as we move into 1718. He finally says goodbye to Steed Bonnet, who goes off in his own merry way for about three months. Bonnet still hasn't quite got the hang of being a pirate, and so when he runs into Blackbeard again in March 1718, his crew are essentially begging Blackbeard to seize their ship and take charge of it again. Poor old Steed Bonnet. Again, episode 57, if you want to get across his full story. It's a good one. Um, Bit of overlap between this episode and that one, but still worth a listen. Uh, But Blackbeard, after re-encountering Bonnet in this way, along with his near-mutinous crew, says very generously, all right, boys, okay, okay, you've convinced me. I'll seize your ship. I'll overthrow your captain again. uh, Bonnet is little more than a prisoner on the Queen Anne's Revenge this time. And uh, Blackbeard once again incorporates the revenge into his pirate fleet, giving, it, uh, giving command of it to one of his other lieutenants, Israel Hands. Throughout early 1718, Blackbeard continued to grow the size of his fleet. It wasn't just with the revenge. He was capturing ships left, right and centre, and in one case at least, just went up to a ship's captain and asked him if he wanted to join them. Uh, apparently, Captain David Herriot was stopped as he was sailing his ship to Belize and was... Uh, invited to join Blackbeard's fleet. Uh, Sensibly, Captain Harriet agreed. He could probably read the writing on the wall and recognise what would happen if he didn't surrender his ship. So he lost control uh, of the ship that he had formerly captained uh, as Blackbeard put someone else in charge of it, but he escaped with his life and with quite a story to tell as he went on to have all sorts of adventures with Steed Bonnet in the years to come. Again, episode, uh, episode 57. Blackbeard continued to ravage his way across the Caribbean, sailing to the Bay of Honduras, then back to the Cayman Islands, capturing ships and loot and plunder this entire time. I don't know exactly how big his fleet got, but it, it, it was big at one point, maybe eight or ten ships in all, a considerable naval force. He sailed to Cuba and then north to Florida and then all the way, all the way to the Carolinas, again, looting and plundering ships as he went. And by the time we get to May 1718, things are going so well for Blackbeard that he named himself Commodore. He decided that being a mere captain wasn't good enough for him, and so he gave himself a promotion to the rank of Commodore. And Commodore, why not? Seeing as he's sailing around with a fleet that could challenge a small nation on its own, I think he deserves it. But he did have a small issue that he had to deal with at this point. A number of his crew members were sick. They were very unwell, and it was up to him as their captain, oh, sorry, as their commodore, to do something about it. But he, of course, as one of the most fearsome and well-known pirates on the seas at the time, he couldn't just land in a port somewhere and expect them expect his crew members to be treated and, and, and seen to if he asked nicely. 
He's one of the most fearsome and famous pirates of all time. What was he to do? Well, his uh, his response to this need for medicine, for medical supplies, was very much in keeping with, uh, with what you might think a, a pirate would do. He sailed with his fleet to Charlestown in South Carolina, today, today known as Charleston, and he blockaded its harbour, something that he's able to do quite readily with a fleet of this size. He stopped any and all ships from either entering or leaving the harbour, plundering the cargoes of anyone foolish enough to attempt to run the blockade. And as luck would have it, one of these ships was filled with, not not medical supplies, but high-ranking citizens of Charlestown who had been sent off on a voyage to London. And once these citizens were taken prisoner, Blackbeard made them an offer. They would either use their influence to help him obtain the medical supplies he needed from Charlestown, or, option two, they would be killed, and their heads would be sent to the governor, and he would burn all the ships that he'd captured in the harbour just for good measure. This is why he had the reputation he had, and his prisoners didn't stop to doubt his word. They agreed to his demands, and one of the prisoners was uh, was sent ashore as a messenger, along with two of Blackbeard's uh, crew members, to keep an eye on him, of course, to retrieve the needed medical supplies from Charlestown. Days pass, and the prisoner and his escort don't return. Blackbeard, growing impatient, moves his ships into the Charlestown harbour itself, causing panic in the town as they feared that an attack was imminent. But then, luckily, before Blackbeard pulled the trigger on the attack on Charlestown, the messenger returned with the two pirates with a very interesting explanation as to why he had been delayed. It had nothing to do with actually getting the required medical supplies. Apparently, he'd gone to the governor at full speed, explained the situation, and the governor had agreed to pay this ransom of these medical supplies. The supplies had been gathered and given to the messenger, who had then gone back to regroup with the pirates that had been escorting him so that they so that they could return to the ship. Except he couldn't find these pirates that had accompanied him and so had to search the town from top to bottom to learn what had become of them. And where did he find them? Pissed as chooks, the pair of them drinking themselves silly with some mates of theirs that they'd run into. Now, luckily, uh, these pirates had been found before Blackbeard had cut the heads off the prisoners and set fire to half the harbour. And with the medicine duly delivered back to the Queen Anne's revenge, Blackbeard, who seemed to be a man of his word, he kept up his side of the deal. He released the prisoners intact and withdrew from the harbour, but not, of course, before taking anything and everything of value from the prisoners all the way down to their fine clothing. Pirates getting drunk and stealing everything of value. Maybe maybe our modern day conception of them isn't all that inaccurate after all. But now we come to a very interesting part of the story. While blockading Charlestown, Blackbeard learned that the British were now finally taking action against the scourge of piracy in the Caribbean and the Southeast American coastline. And to do this, they were doing two things. They were offering a general amnesty to pirates everywhere. Any pirate who turned himself in before the 5th of September 1718 would be offered the king's pardon and a clean slate to go along with it. And for those who refused the pardon, on the other hand, the British were also sending a fleet of pirate hunters across to the Caribbean, to the Southeast American coastline, 
Just as a way to, uh, to help any recalcitrant pirates see the error of their ways. And this was coming at what proved to be quite an unfortunate time for Blackbeard, because shortly after Charlestown, he attempted to careen the Queen Anne's revenge so as to repair it, and instead managed to damage it quite badly while he was running it aground. Oops. At this point, he's actually seriously thinking about taking the part, and he's lost his flagship. He can see which way the wind is blowing. But there was an issue, because... This amnesty, this this pardon, it only provided forgiveness for acts of piracy committed before the 5th of January, 1718. And he had perpetrated a lot of piracy since then, including, of course, all the business in Charlestown. So, as he's not quite sure if he'll be pardoned properly or not, he decides to test the waters a little bit. To, uh, to find out what would happen if he were to turn himself in. And he does this by convincing poor old Steed Bonnet, who was very keen to take the pardon, to sail into the town of Bath in North Carolina and surrender himself there to the governor. In this way, based on what the governor did or didn't do to Bonnet, Blackbeard could make an educated and informed choice as to how he wanted to proceed. The silver-tongued Blackbeard promised Bonnet that he'll return his old ship, the Revenge, to him if he goes and, and, and gets this pardon. Uh, so he can start again on the straight and narrow with his old ship. And so Bonnet, who, as I say, is keen to put the pirate's life behind him, readily agrees. He, uh, he heads to Bath, uh, is duly pardoned. Brilliant. That's, that's terrific news. Bloody excellent for him. Except when Bonnet returns to share the news with Blackbeard and reclaim his ship, he finds that Blackbeard has marooned Bonnet's crew, looted everything that wasn't nailed down, and buggered off in one of his other ships, which he called the Adventure. What did you expect? Blackbeard is a man of his word. He promised Bonnet the revenge. He just didn't promise Bonnet anything that was inside the revenge. So he, he absconded with all of it. While Bonnet fruitlessly chased him down, seeking revenge the concept after having reclaimed revenge the ship blackbeard decided that based on the bonnet situation all seemed well vis-a-vis the whole pardon business and so elected to claim a clean slate for himself as well he marooned about 25 more of his sailors before before heading to bath town himself it's thought that these sailors weren't uh, weren't quite on board with his plans to seek a pardon uh, and therefore ended up being not on board his ship either And so just a few days after Bonnet, Blackbeard rocked up to accept his pardon as well in June 1718 and was commissioned as a privateer for the British by the governor after being offered a full amnesty for any misdeeds or errors of judgment that may have occurred in the time previous. And that, my friends, is that. Roll credits, Blackbeard is back living the reputable life of a privateer serving king and country Thanks for listening to another episode of Half House History. Please exit through the gift shop. No, of course not. Of course Blackbeard, he he lasted as a privateer for about a month, mate. Maybe two before the siren song of the pirate's life called him back. He started attacking ships again outside his purview as a privateer, weaving flimsy stories to the British authorities about finding loot and plunder in abandoned ships at sea. He did get away with it for a while, but it wasn't long before Blackbeard was back on the wrong side of the law 
especially after he met up with Charles Vane, another famous pirate I mentioned before, and Calico Jack, who you can hear all about in episode 49, and ended up going back to his old tricks. By now, the age of piracy is well and truly beginning to wind down. However, European authorities, especially the British, as I mentioned, they are ramping up their efforts to stamp out piracy. They just don't need pirates anymore. There isn't a need to keep pirates or privateers on hand as a naval reserve. Nations like Britain are building their own official fleets to escort, protect merchant and treasure ships. Pirates are, slowly but surely, being pushed out of this period of history. And sadly, Blackbeard was one of the first of these pirates from this brief but legendary few years to go. In late 1718, a fleet of British pirate hunters under the command of Lieutenant Robert Maynard on the HMS Jane were sent off to find Blackbeard and any other pirates they might come across as well, for that matter, and bring them to justice. Blackbeard had been operating out of Ocracoke Island in North Carolina, preying on ships that sailed past. But that was about to come to an end because Maynard very quickly discovered Blackbeard's position surrounded him with his fleet, and then, on the morning of the 22nd of November, 1718, moved to attack. Blackbeard, after realising what was happening, rallied the crew of the adventure to counterattack, and what a counterattack it was. Blackbeard, with his huge experience of naval combat, began to absolutely devastate the British ships, with a single broadside killing a third of Maynard's men in one go and disabling one of the other ships that he'd brought. Blackbeard sailed the adventure over to the Jane, making ready to board while the British were in disarray, and encouraged by the sight that the Jane's decks were essentially empty, Blackbeard ordered the grappling hooks thrown and for boarding to commence. However, Maynard, who was no fool himself when it came to naval combat, had very deliberately ordered many of his men to remain below decks, out of sight, causing Blackbeard to underestimate the strength of his foe. After the pirates boarded, the British forces burst forth up onto the deck, and as the pirates descended on the ship, the two factions laid into one another with fierce hand-to-hand fighting on a deck that was already slick with blood from the previous broadside. Teach and Maynard met personally, for one-on-one combat. Maynard hit Blackbeard with a shot from his flintock while Blackbeard's shot missed, and then the two men drew their cutlasses and approached. The sound of steel rang out as their blades met and a furious duel began. Blackbeard was the better swordsman, but his crew around him were outnumbered by better trained foes and so began to be pushed back off the ship. Slowly but surely, The pirate crew was forced off the Jane, except for Blackbeard, who ended up surrounded by the British as he continued to duel Maynard. He had the upper hand, fighting with fury and skill, and then broke through Maynard's defences and was poised to land a lethal blow and bring this duel with Maynard to a triumphant end when one of the British soldiers darted forth, slashed out with his cutlass, slicing Blackbeard across the neck and causing his strike to miss Maynard. Maynard lost the duel, but he escaped with his life, whereas Blackbeard, surrounded by Maynard's men, was cut to pieces. The life of this legendary pirate finally coming 
to an end. And with the loss of their captain, Blackbeard's men surrendered and the battle was over. The great pirate Edward Teach finally brought low on the 22nd of November, 1718. And in the aftermath of this fight, Blackbeard's body was examined and found to have been shot no fewer than five times and stabbed and cut around 20 times. So he really did go down swinging. A violent and savage and glorious death. His corpse was beheaded and his head was hung from the rigging of Maynard's ship as it returned to harbour before later being displayed at the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay as a warning to other pirates. As for Blackbeard's crew, they were taken prisoner, they were tried on charges of piracy, and all but two of them were found guilty and hanged. As for Maynard, despite his mighty triumph in ending the career of Blackbeard, you'd you'd think this guy had it made in the shade, but no, he was disgraced and never promoted again after it emerged that he and his men had nicked some of Blackbeard's treasure for themselves rather than waiting for the bounties and the prize money for Blackbeard's death to be officially paid over to them. 1718 wasn't just the end of Blackbeard. It was the beginning of the end of the golden age of piracy. That year, pirate hunter Woods Rogers landed in Nassau and broke up the Republic of Pirates. And in the years that followed, almost every single famous and infamous pirate would be killed, either by cutlass or flintlock or at the end of a rope. Blackbeard has become one of the most famous or most infamous of all of these pirates, despite, interestingly, the fact that he wasn't actually all that successful on one very important axis. He had a fearsome reputation, as we've established, and he became extremely well-known in both in his time and in the time after he died. But overall, he didn't actually plunder that much wealth, relatively speaking. For instance, Bartholomew Roberts, episodes 195, 196, get across him, he looted five times as much as Blackbeard did. And you'll, of course, you'll remember from episode 256 that Henry Every didn't just steal more wealth than you can possibly imagine. He also got away with it. Now, Blackbeard did all right, sure, but relatively speaking, the fortune that was seized after his death was was actually pretty small. Not that that put off scores of treasure hunters searching for his uh, supposed hoard of riches that he buried somewhere for, for years, decades, centuries after his death. Pirates just didn't bury treasure, man. Maybe maybe one did one time, Captain William Kidd. But apart from, apart from him, there is just... No reliable historical evidence to suggest that pirates buried hordes of loot and plunder anywhere at any point. It's a very well-established trope in pirate fiction, of course, along with talking parrots and peg legs and walking the plank, but it just didn't happen. But I'll tell you what uh, what ancient treasure of, uh, of Blackbeard's has been found, what was lost to history before finally emerging once again, the wreck of the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was found off the coast of the Carolinas in 1996. Today, you can go to the North Carolina Maritime Museum in the town of Beaufort, and you can see many, many artifacts taken from the wreckage itself. In any case, Blackbeard was one of the most famous pirates to emerge from this golden age of piracy, or indeed really from history altogether. He's a figure so famous that you might be forgiven for wondering if he 
was actually real, or just a fictional character like Long John Silver or Captain Jack Sparrow. And for that matter, when it comes to fictionalization, he has been fictionalized in all manner of popular media, books, TV shows, films, video games. And so it's sometimes hard to separate the truth from the romanticized and glamorized stories that we're told about him. But that, I think, more than anything else, is why figures like Blackbeard are so important. Because never in a million years would someone like Blackbeard have imagined that his short life and the lives of his piratical associates would go on to influence popular culture and media so enormously, centuries after his death. Think about how much impact, I don't know, medieval knights have had on things like storytelling and media and whatever else. And they were around for hundreds of years. So yeah, sure, fair enough. But pirates? The, 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 the pirates we think of today, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean pirates, the Assassin's Creed Black Flag pirates, the, uh, the Owl Flag Means Death pirates, these pirates were around for, what, a decade, if that? To live on in the imagination of so many millions of people for so many centuries after you've died, that is as close to immortality as anyone can ever really hope to get. And so for his exploits, for his fearsome reputation, for his fame as one of history's best known pirates, even after being shot and cut to ribbons over 300 years ago, Blackbeard is, in some ways, very much alive today. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Blackbeard, of Edward Teach. And uh, I hope you enjoyed a return to uh, an old favourite of half Hour's history, a bit of naval history, a bit of pirate history. You, uh, you'd love to see it. Or you don't, in which case, I don't know. You, you, you're you still here listening, so I don't know what to say to you, man. Anyway, um, thanks for being part of this episode of half Hour's history, and thanks for being part of uh, the ongoing success of the show as well by uh, by listening to this Tin Pot History podcast. I greatly appreciate all uh, all the listeners tuning in every week, new and old alike. I've had a lot of new listeners come in recently, and uh, welcome. By all means, welcome. It is so good to have you along. Uh, and I mean, one of my favorite things when I discover a new podcast is uh, is is discovering that it also has an enormous back catalog. So uh, <clears throat> enjoy, although some of them, as I often say, some of them are stinkers. The the early ones, yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't know what I was doing, man. I I was doing my best. It it, it takes a while to, to find your rhythm. So anyway, um, I want to remind people that, uh, of course, I, I say this every week. There is merch, but specifically while we're talking about Edward Teach, there's actually Blackbeard merch in the shop. It's been there for a while. There's a, a picture of Blackbeard with his uh, with his beard all plaited and and the smoke coming out from under his hat, uh, with the caption, "You want to do what to my timbers?" Which I think is um. I don't know. It's kind of funny. You can go and buy that on a T-shirt or a mug or, a, I don't know, a mouse pad, I guess. Do they sell mouse? I don't know if they sell mouse pads. But you can buy on all sorts of stuff over there if you want to. Uh, head to the uh, website, halfhousehistory.net, and follow the uh, the link 
to the merch shop. I've had some really great suggestions recently uh, for some merch. And so again, it's on the list. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be able to refresh the merch shop, but we'll see. But if you want to support the show in a far more direct and far less tangible way, uh, you can of course do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash history. Although you get tangible stuff from that. You don't only get show notes and uncut episodes and early access to, 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 these, uh, to these episodes. You also get exclusive Patreon only merch and of course, ad free listening. Can't put a price on Well, you can put a price on that $5 a month, but still, if you're interested in any of that, patreon.com slash history, head over there. Uh, but more importantly than anything else, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell people about whom you feel largely indifferent. If there's a, uh, if there's someone in your life who is a, a fan of, of, of pirates and, and wants to learn about one of, if not the most famous pirate ever to walk the earth, send them this episode and, uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe they'll enjoy it. Maybe they won't. Doesn't matter. A listen's a listen, a download's a download. Those those numbers on the back end, they all show up the same. So thank you once again to everyone who's spreading the good word of Half House History. We'll be back next week, of course. But this week we're not uh, closing things out with a uh, with a question posed on Reddit. This I have, I, I just I, I saw this. I have to share it. Um, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of the uh, of the children's animated series Jake and the Neverland Pirates, right? So this is a this is a cartoon series that that features you won't be surprised to learn pirates. Um, and in addition to being a cartoon, there are a range of other wonderful multimedia offerings, including books, right? And uh, if you go online, you'll actually be able to you'll, you'll you'll be able to see this picture that I found, which is just truly hilarious. It's a picture um, taken from a book of uh, presumably Jake and uh, and some of the Neverland Pirates with uh, with a caption that is understandable when you think about you know the fact that it's a kids' cartoon and. Disney not wanting to land themselves in legal hot water by encouraging children to loot and, and plunder and pillage, but one that is also hilariously incorrect, spreading all sorts of historical misinformation, uh, because the caption reads, <clears throat> A good pirate never takes another person's property. 